Well, my introduction to them was way back in 1989. My uncle bought one, and he was one of the first people in the family to get one. And eventually, my other uncle would buy one, and then my dad would buy a vehicle from the same company, but not get his own until years later. It was a pickup truck, and with the rise of the mid-sized truck market in the late 80s and early 90s, I had two uncles that owned one, and even my father, who owned a later model, of the specific truck. Our hometown was pretty big in Dodges, and the Dakota was the truck that everybody was getting into. Full-size trucks weren't here, and the club cabs in the mid-sized market were more accepting to a suburbanized world. But how long could we ride this out? Whereas the Dakota eventually would give way to its bigger sibling, the 1500. The Dakota initially was a vehicle that did the same thing to its predecessor, the Ram 50. And today, Autolux is going to be taking a look at the Dodge Dakota. Welcome back to the Autolux Podcast. I'm your host, as always, the doctor to the automotive industry, Mr. Everett J, coming to you from our main website at autolux.net. If you haven't been there, stop by, check it out, read some of the reviews, stop by and listen to some of the other podcasts, and go to the Corporate Links website page and find car companies from around the world, big or small. We have them all on the autolux.net website. And if you'd like to get in contact with myself or the whole Autolux team here, send an email over to email at autolux.net. The Autolux Podcast has been brought to you by Ecom Entertainment Group and distributed by Podbeam.com. If you'd like to get in touch with the Autolux.net podcast, please send us an email over at email at Autolux.net. So like I said in the beginning, in the early 90s, I had two uncles that had an original first-generation Dodge Dakota. Not first design, but first-generation Dodge Dakota. They wanted the mid-size pickup truck market because they didn't want to get into the full-size ring. They needed something to get in and around. Well, one of them just used it as a personal vehicle. He got out of his big cargo van and into a Dakota. My other uncle was an electrician by trade and needed a truck to get around. And the mid-size market was a little bit more accepting and a little easier to get into for them, considering the fact that they were a lot cheaper than their full-size counterparts and they were easier to be had with a club cab model. Dodge Dakota lasted from 1986 all the way to 2011. From 1986 to 2009, the Dakota brand ran under the Dodge nameplate, where in the last few years, final two, it was sold under the Ram Pretex. But, with its only difference of being, it still carried the original Dodge Ram head logo on the front end compared to all other Ram models in the product lineup at that time. The Dodge Dakota was the very first mid-sized pickup truck to be inclusive of a V8 engine and spawned two variations of its own product. That being the Durango, which still exists today, and the Chrysler Aspen SUV product ranges. It replaced the Jeep Comanche and the D50 slash Ram 50 product lines for both Dodge and Jeep. And yes, the new Jeep mid-size pickup truck, the new Jeep Gladiator, is now out, but there is still no Dakota. But do we really need it? That's something for the end of this podcast to listen to. Set above the Ram 50 that was originally created by Mitsubishi and distributed in North America by Mitsubishi until the chicken tax days, the Dakota was brought out to abide by the new chicken tax laws set about in the late 80s where these pickup trucks had to be made within the confines of continental North America. 
The Dodge Dakota was only to be for the Dodge brand. Unlike some of its other products, like General Motors with the Sonoma and S10, the Dakota was considered to be a replacement vehicle for the Jeep Comanche. But Jeep also had its consideration of having its own mid-sized pickup truck market by utilizing the new Dodge Dakota platform for a new generation of Jeep Comanches. Unfortunately, the Comanche would slightly disappear when the Cherokee had disappeared, but until then, only the Dakota would survive. Before this, the Ram 50 also had its own separate variation from the Plymouth product lineup of the Plymouth Aero built on the same Mitsubishi platform, with the Plymouth Aero version of the Ram 50 compact truck surviving from 1979 to 1982 before being phased out due to the fact that Plymouth was moving into an upper echelon of the marketplace, resting above the Eagle brand and Dodge brand, but just below the Chrysler branding to compete with products more from Buick and Considering the fact that Buick didn't have their own pickup truck, it just seemed kind of odd that Plymouth would have their own. And this was also due to the fact that the Plymouth Trail Duster had been shelved, with only the Dodge Ram Charger surviving. The Dakota wasn't going to be taking on the brand new Ram sub-brand name utilized for both its full-size pickup truck and the Ram vans, even though it utilized production facilities created for the new Ram vans. The Dodge Dakota would run its own corporate name. The unfortunate thing for the Dakota is the Dakota would actually sit just slightly above the Ford Ranger and Chevrolet S10 GMC Sonoma product ranges, who fell more into a higher echelon of the compact pickup truck market and the lowest of the mid-sized product range where the Dodge Dakota would always sit dead center of the mid-range product range. This was created to follow up the original Ram D50 that lasted from 1979 to 1980 and the Ram 50 product which ran from 1981 to 1986 where the Ram 50s were originally a late arrival to the compact pickup truck market to compete with the Ford Courier and Chevrolet LUV. This was all done in place to keep the Japanese counterparts from invading the complete North American product stable. The products from Toyota, Nissan, Mitsubishi, well, Datsun back in the days, and even Mazda. All being out, they utilized the small footprints of the Japanese counterparts. But when the chicken tax was put into place, Dodge needed to up their game and create the new Dakota on its own product lineup. The original Ram 50s, besides being shared with the Japanese counterpart from Mitsubishi, were a four-wheel drive product known as the Power Ram in 1982. A turbo diesel was available from 1983 to 1985, but only for commercial use. And the coolest thing that ever happened with the Ram 50, the predecessor to the Dodge Dakota, was the fact that it had a floor-mounted four-speed manual for the base. And the funny thing is, is I almost bought one of these trucks while I was in college. Chose against it because, you know, I needed to eat while I was in college, but an original 1984 Ram 50 with a floor-mounted four-speed actually would have been a lot cooler than my Kia Rio. In 1986, we saw the arrival of the first-generation Dodge Dakota. Riding all the way to 1996 before its second-generation arrived, the original Dakota had kept its costs low to help speed up the development and catch up to the competition. Where Lee Iacocca originally commissioned the Dodge Dakota because as a needed product range to compete with the competition from Ford and GM, he had to speed up development, but also do this on a budget, considering the fact that they had just bought out AMC and 
Plus were just getting out of bankruptcy. They didn't have all the money in the world to spend on a new product, but they didn't want to miss the boat. The original Dakota shared parts with the existing Chrysler products, as well as manufacturing shared with the D and W models from the Dodge Ram product range. Harold K. Sprelich challenged his team to keep the cost low, and the nearly aborted N-Body team eventually came through, sourcing products from a multitude of the Chrysler range. With resources low, they still managed to make the brand new Dakota one of the first mid-sized pickup trucks to be included with rack and pinion steering. It arrived on market with an inline 4 and V6 engines available only and offered either as a 5-speed manual or a 3-speed automatic. Four-wheel drive was only available on the V6 model, so if you wanted to go off-roading, you couldn't do it in a lowly 90-horsepower inline four. But the neat thing with the original Dakota is that it was both available in a 6.5-foot box and an 8-foot box configuration, setting it up to run with the big league. An 8-foot box sets the Dakota up to sit in the same capacity as its Ram brethren. In 1989, the Dodge Dakota convertible arrived the market as the Dakota Sport, the first and only convertible pickup truck from the North American product line. You may fight with me and say the SSR is, is one too, but that's a sport truck. It's a little different. And essentially the truck box is completely useless when the top's down. Where the Dakota with the top down, your truck box was still there. The idea came from American Sunroof Company, but this product was dealer offered, similar to that of the Challenger convertible models that you can now buy from the dealers. This product was something that set the Dakota apart from the competition. Where the competition had created sport models, Dodge decided to say, hey, we're going to let American Sunroof Company give us a convertible variation of the Dakota and something completely different than anyone else. But that's also at a time when Dodge also had Dodge Shadow convertible and even the Dodge K-Car convertible. They had some of the cheapest convertibles on the market and even all the way into the 2000s, Chrysler was one of the only American car companies to ever keep convertibles alive within their product range. The Dakota being one of those vehicles that had a convertible product offering at one point in its life. Unfortunately, it wouldn't live past the first generation of the Dakota. After this, in 1989, we also saw the introduction of Carroll Shelby's V8-powered Shelby Dakota, his first rear-wheel drive off offering in nearly two decades, the last one being his Ford Mustang. Shelby himself was working for Chrysler Corporation and was already put to work building the Omni Shelby, which is built in collaboration also with Sunbeam. The Dakota, Shelby Dakota, would become one of the first rear-wheel drive projects and one that would become the most memorable of Shelby's lifetime, and one of the very few Shelby trucks that were ever production ready and produced by the dedicated manufacturer, where many other Shelby products were created by his own in-house Shelby program. The Shelby Dakota was created by none other than Dodge, and even serviced in Dodge dealers. To fit that V8 in place of the V6, Dodge actually had to replace the fan with an electrically driven fan, instead of the original belt driven one from the V6. 
1946. This also increased power in the Shelby Dakota by 5 horsepower over what it would have been had they have kept the original belt-driven fan. Each of these Dodge Dakotas came with a special wheels and a trim along with an individual numbered dash plaque similar of all of Shelby's products, indicating to you that it's an authentic Shelby product. Being that it's 1989, this was the highest performing truck of its time, eventually showcasing to the world that trucks can become performance products as well. This would eventually be followed up by the GMC Cyclone and years later by the Ford F-150 SBT Lightning pickup trucks. 1,500 of them were made with 505 of them in dedicated white, 995 of them in red, and one, only one, made as a two-tone variation of the Shelby Dakota, with red below the main stripe and white above the main stripe. This Dakota is one of only one in existence. So yes, if you have ever come across a Dodge Dakota Shelby that has a red on the bottom and white on the top, a two-tone color coordination, buy it because it is the only one in existence. In 1990, we saw the introduction of the extended cab, finally giving us more room to bring our family with us. But unfortunately, the back bench was built for shorter adults, children, and basic cargo storage with access only from the front with sliding seats similar to that of coupe products of the time. In 1991, we saw Dakota's first mild refresh with the new front grille and hood. This was quickly followed up in 1991 with replacement of the square glass headlights with the new age aerodynamic bubble lights which were more aerodynamically fit for the front of the vehicle. This gave the Dodge Dakota a more modern rounded look to make it fit in with the products around it considering the fact that both General Motors and Ford were still utilizing square flat bodies for the, both the Ranger and the Sonoma S10 products. Dodge became one of the first mid-sized products to say hello to the new age of aerodynamic clean line designs of the 1990s. This is something that Dodge would become famous for in the 90s, followed up by the second generation of both the Ram and the Dakota. Shelby's V8 was moved into the main production line as a standard product V8, but without any Shelby badges because the Shelby would eventually die out just before the change to the second generation. But before that happened, Dodge would go back in its history books and bring back these two limited edition models to the full-size pro product from which they originally came from, but do it in a smaller scale. The Dakota was utilized for a brand new reintroduction of the Little Red Express and Warrior editions of the Dakota pickup truck constructed by LER Industries out of both fiberglass and galvanile materials. A sidestep box was added to the back of the Dakota single cabs to create the Little Red Express which was inclusive of only red paint, the original Little Red Express decal, and the non-functioning transport exhaust ports coming out of the side. The Warrior Edition was a variation of the original Little Red Express counterpart, the Black Warlock which was a little red express without the tailpipes. It had been painted black, had side rails, and with gold writing, which indicated that it was a warlock. These products lasted from 1991 all the way through to 1992, with only a few of them ever being made with the 5.7 liter Magnum V8. So if you can find one of the V8, hold on to it, because those ones are a lot rarer than the original products. 
Now, during this time, Dodge didn't give up on their little Ram 50s. Seeing that the compact pickup truck market with the Mazda B-Series in the original Toyota T100s and even the Ford Ranger and Chevrolet S10s were more of sitting in the compact pickup truck market, Dodge decided to keep their variation of the Mitsubishi alive. From 1987 to 1994, the Ram 50 was still produced for North American consumption, utilizing the same design from the 1986 with only slight modifications to its front grille. The Ram 50 chugged along as a small competitor to the new compact pickup truck market, which was slowly dying out. Updates were made with this product to be in line with the Mitsubishi Mighty Max model, which was its sibling. The Ram 50 was an entry into the truck market, but was not required due to slow sales. In the last year of production, they barely even sold a few hundred of them. With sales ending in 1994, the Ram 50 was finally pushed off, and Dodge was only a two-truck market. Although by this time it did include diesel product ranges, the Ram and the Dakota product lineups were it. This was only due to the fact that the mid-90s saw a massive decrease in the compact pickup truck market. The only part of that market that still was booming was the mini trucking market. But for that, most people turned to the Japanese counterparts that were still in production. Like I said, the Toyota T100 and Mazda B-Series from the late 80s, early 90s. In 1997, we saw the second generation grace our roads. Utilizing the same semi-truck design that was utilized in the 1994 release of the Dodge Ram, this second generation Dodge Dakota was just a smaller sibling to that bigger truck. Built from July 1996 to July 2004, this product still utilized the original 2.5 liter inline four from American Motors, along with an inline four diesel for Brazil only, a 3.9 liter V6 and the 5 5.2 liter and 5.9 liter Magnum V8s, which were eventually phased out with the introduction of the Powertech V8s in the later years. These Powertech V8s were the 4.7 liter V8 and the 3.7 liter V6 models. The odd thing about the New Age Dakota is the development of this product began in 1991. 1991, that's when we were seeing the Little Red Express of the Warrior products out. The Shelby was still kicking around and they were working on a new vehicle. The design was initially approved in mid-1993, just before the release of the Ram product range, and finalized in January 1994. By this time, the new semi-truck look for the Ram was already gracing our roadways, and Dodge was looking towards its future of the Dakota product range. But with strong sales in the Dakota product range and the fact that they didn't want to saturate the market with too much of this design, the Dakota was held back until its release for the 1997 product year. Mostly unchanged underneath, which meant they utilized all of the original underpinnings from the initial first generation Dodge Dakota. So essentially the second generation Dakota was just new sheet metal, a few new engines, and upgraded accessories. But like we always say, it's similar to that of the Toyota Camry. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's what Dodge was doing. Hence the reason why the second generation Dakota was so well built. Its V8 rivaled anything from its own class and even rivaled some from the full-size industry, inclusive of a payload capacity of 1,500 pounds, 680 kilograms for those. In 1998, we saw the introduction of the most famous Dodge Dakota, the one that everybody bought to go shred tires on until Dodge decided to release their, you know, 
their own SRT model years later, the RT variation of the Coda was it. This was the big burly V8 that you could shred tires. It was only available in rear wheel drive, which made this thing a modern day muscle truck for the roads. Made from 1998 to 2003, the RT was available with a 250 horsepower, 345 pound torque, 5.9 liter V8. It came with a four speed automatic with a performance axle, limited slip differential, sport suspension and steering, along with bucket seats, performance exhaust, upgraded brakes and a cast aluminum rims. Something not seen since the Dakota Shelby of 19. 19- 89. The RT can do the quarter mile in 15 seconds and at a 0 to 60 time of 6.9 seconds. And the funny thing is, because of its powerful engine, and even though being a rear-wheel drive product, the new RT Dakota had a payload capacity of 970 pounds. It could tow 1,800 pounds, all for being a sport model. It can out-tow the standardized product. The unfortunate thing is, being rear-wheel drive, it's only good on dry pavement. If you got to tow stuff in the snow, not having four-wheel drive is going to play against you. 1998, Dodge also released their brand new R1 updated chassis system in Brazil. This is available with a 2.5 liter inline four-cylinder turbo diesel. It was designed around a reinforced 4x4 chassis, but unfortunately it would quickly be cancelled with the introduction of Daimler Chrysler. Daimler didn't like the idea of a 4x4 dedicated chassis vehicle only for the South American market and not having it in its home market in North America. In late 1997, we saw the introduction of the Dakota sibling, the Durango, built off the same DN platform. This was made to complement a new SUV range coming out from the Dodge product stable. Considering the fact that it had been years since the Ram Charger disappeared, and the only product ranges in the SUV market, I should say exploding SUV, SUV market of 1997 were all from Jeep. Dodge didn't have anything and people were demanding it. So Dodge reinforced their Dakota platform and built the Durango. Utilizing the same semi-truck look as the Dakota, the Durango only came with a bubble back rear, but did come with an RT package. Not as powerful as the Dakotas though. This product, when you really think about it, the Durango should have come out in 1989 to hold out against the original Broncos and Bronco 2s and Blazer models. But unfortunately, the Ram Charger wasn't in existence until the early 90s. The Durango should have been its replacement directly after its loss. In 2000, things started changing. and We're getting close to the end of the second generation Durango. The world is changing. We actually saw the loss of the 8-foot bed. Of course, this is just before 2003 three when we start getting the club cab models of the dakota and for a very short amount of time before the end of its life cycle the second generation had three layouts with both single cab club cab and quad cab variations you can't find quad cab ones in 2001 we saw the introduction of cd players and tape decks becoming standard equipment in their vehicle with the am fm only deck being phased out completely in 2002 the final year for the four cylinder Enduro Rose and the Dakota would only become a V6 and V8 product. This was due to the fact that Daimler was phasing out the original American Motors four-cylinder engine that Chrysler still had in its product line. Although that four-cylinder had shown that it had been tested and it was true, it was time for it to go and the new Pentastars to come in. 
The second generation Dakota was only sold in Brazil from 1998 to 2001, a short four-year product life cycle in one of the biggest truck markets south of our border. In August 2004, we saw the introduction of the third generation Dakota, and this is where things start to go downhill from here. When in 1997, we got showcased a Dodge Sidewinder concept, or as we like to call it, the Dodge Dakota Sidewinder concept, where they took a Dodge Viper V10, jammed it underneath the hood of a Dakota, and made it a two-door convertible pickup truck, trying to bring back the old Dakota Sport model, and showcase to us something that's super powerful and ultimately awesome. This product would never be released to the public, well, for public consumption, but the Dodge Dakota Sidewinder did showcase a future in which the SRT Ram 1500 would come out, and it would become the last great variation of the Dakota. Whereas between August 2004 to August 23rd, 2011, the third generation Gray Star Shore, available with both a 3.7 liter Powertech V6 and a 4.7 liter Powertech V8, this new product was 3.7 inches longer and 2.7 inches wider than its predecessor. A new front and rear suspension and new rack and pinion steering. And at this point, Dodge finally decided to revert back to the five lug system for its tires. Where before this, all Dodge Dakota products had initially been sold with six lug tires. Not inclusive of a mid-size product range where most vehicles use five lug studs. A six-speed manual transmission was available from 2005 to 2006, but only for the V8 models. And with no single cab, just club cab and quad cab models, this brand new Dakota was only going after a limited portion of the product range. With Toyota releasing the Toyota Pre-Runner editions of their Tacomas, the Rangers getting an updated design, and Chevrolet releasing the brand new Colorados from Isuzu, this Dakota was even bigger and closer to its counterpart, the 1500. But its design was trying to stay with the new Rams look, but unfortunately for most of us, was just way too out there. And if you read one of our original reviews, like original reviews from Auto Looks from the beginning, we did one about this, and we actually call out Dodge on the fact that it looks like the Dodge Dakota third generation has tail fins at the back. Really ugly model. The RT model would follow over for 2005 and into 2006 model years, but unfortunately the new RT model was just a standard design package. There were no modifications, no reinforced suspensions, no extra power. It was just an RT sticker. In 2006, we saw the introduction of the third generation Dakota's only existing counterpart, well, next to the, to the eventual Durango, which was just as ugly, the Mitsubishi Raider. Now, the Mitsubishi Raider was built due to the fact that the new chicken tax. It's funny because Dodge initially used Mitsubishi products to build the original Ram 50s for the North American consumption, where now Mitsubishi was utilizing Dodge products to build its brand new Mitsubishi Raider. With a nice, sleek look, the new Mitsubishi Raider was a better looking of the two, but unfortunately, without the Mitsubishi name being as big as it is today, this product would never see a long stand. And after only three short years in 2009, Mitsubishi decided to roll up on its trucks and dedicate itself only to its CUV marketplace. Its counterparts had followed the same suits, with a lot of them closing up shop. Nissan got into bed with Suzuki, and Suzuki utilizing the Nissan Frontier for their equator models, giving them 
their own pickup truck for the midsize marketplace. But with the fall of the global economy in 2008, the midsize pickup truck market was starting to disappear. Due to limited number of dealers and the Mitsubishi name, the Raider never sold more than 10,000 products per year on its global life scale. In 2008, we finally saw a new updated Dakota with an even odder look. They tried to clean up the front end of it to give it a cleaner appeal similar to that of the Mitsubishi Raider. Unfortunately, it just made the truck look even worse than it really was. The one thing the Dakota did have going for itself by 2008 is it did have the best in-class towing, capable of pulling 7,050 pounds, which put it more in line with full-size pickup trucks. It had a longer standard bed in its class. It was the largest mid-sized truck and largest mid-sized truck cab out of anything. And with optional cargo rails and a heated bench seat, the Dakota had more features and had more going for it than the competition. Unfortunately, its design did not have anything going for it. But this is back during the early 2000s when Mercedes-Benz owned Chrysler and some of the designs were literally turning to shit. You can only thank the Daimler days for the Charger and the 300. In 2010, the Dakota joined the Ram division. It still utilized the Ram logo on both the tailgate and the front grille, unlike the Ram 1500 product range, but the new Ram Dakota was still seen as a Dodge product. But due to the continuation models that would eventually appear from the Ram 1500 product range, and considering the fact that the Ram 1500 product range had been around for such a long time, the cost to build that product was coming down. And bringing the Ram 1500 more in line with what the Dodge Dakota was, the Dakota was becoming more of internal competition for the Ram 1500 product range. Eventually, with the midsize market disappearing altogether from its North American counterparts, with both Ford and GM pulling the plug on their midsize product ranges, on October 23, 2011, Dodge finally pulled the plug on the Dakota, stating the fact that the Ram just fill in for its use. With a few years to go before the new design of the Ram 1500 would come out, the classic and tradesman Rams would fill the shoes of the ill-departed Dakota for the years to come until the classic Ram would appear. Ending 25 years of production, the Dakota still doesn't have anything in the table of a new product range. By the end, it was priced similar to that of an entry-level Ram 1500, where most consumers would just look at that product for their purchasing. With the rise of the mid-sized truck market, there is a possibility that Ram may be considering getting back into this marketplace. And with Stellantis seeing that the Ram brand is one of the only bread-and-butter vehicles that they acquired through the FCA division acquisition, along with the Jeep brand, there is still a possibility that a new Dakota could be on the way utilizing either a Mitsubishi Triton platform or a Nissan Navara platform utilized with both Peugeot or Fiat. In 2019, we came really close to seeing a brand new Dakota when Mitsubishi teamed up and sold Ram 1200 products in the Middle East. Utilizing the pre-existing Mitsubishi Triton platform, these products were rebranded as the Ram 1200 for Middle Eastern marketplaces, giving new life to a possible rebirth of the Dodge Dakota. Unfortunately, that wouldn't come about, whereas South America markets would enjoy the Ram 700 and 1000 products 
product ranges built off the Fiat Strata and the Fiat Toro platforms. Ram still has entry-level product ranges similar to that of the original Ram 50 products of the late 70s and early 80s. Today with the release of the brand new Fiat Stratus, Ram for the South American marketplaces has the brand new Ram Rampage. Rampage brings back its own product range that Dodge ever had in its stable of the crossover utility truck marketplace. The Rampage of the late 70s and early 80s was made to compete against the Ford Rancheros and the El Caminos. But unfortunately, Dodge was 25 years too late to that party already. Utilizing the new Rampage nameplate for a new compact pickup truck market built off the crossover utility truck market and utilizing the Fiat Toro platform. This brand new Ram Rampage might be the new entry-level product that North America needs to act as a catalyst as a stepping stone into the 1500 product range. And with no possibility of the pre-existing Ram 1500 sticking around and becoming a classic product in the future there is still a possibility that Peugeot may be utilizing their pickup truck which is actually the Land Trek pickup for a brand new variation of the Dodge Dakota unfortunately for that to come about Dodge would actually have to build either a new manufacturing plant or build a brand new Dakota off a pre-existing platform with somebody else either they team up with somebody who already builds their products in North America or the Dakota has to have a brand new plant to build both it and Fiat and Peugeot products for elsewhere in the world. With the possibility of that not happening, the new Dakota seems like it may not happen. Which is kind of unfortunate because we all kind of expect and you know kind of want the Dodge Dakota to come back. But really in the end, do we need the Dodge Dakota to come back? Not really. If Dodge just gives us the Rampage, we'll have a predecessor to the original Ram 50 living in its midst to compete against the Ford Maverick and Hyundai Santa Cruz. Sure, it would be great to bring back the Dakota to go up against the new Ford Ranger and Toyota Tacoma that's coming out. But really, with everybody getting into that midsize pickup truck market and Ford even telling Volkswagen, we will help build your products for you, but we will not allow you to build Volkswagen Amarok for North American product ranges because we don't want more competition. If you were part of our product stable, we'd allow it. But until the time comes that we need to utilize more production to build something else, the Ranger is all on its own. So a new Dakota could be years and years away from ever coming out but like i said do we even need one no not really the dakota lived a great life and showcasing to us that shelby can build a performance product out of a pickup truck and that being carried over to an rt rear-wheel drive pickup truck to go take on the likes of the gmc cyclone the dakota was a great vehicle but similar to that of the mitsubishi eclipse it killed itself in the end a falling market was one of the main reasons that the Dakota died, but its horrible design was another reason people left that product range. For today, for the Dakota to come back, they would need a partner to build the brand new midsize pickup truck. And being that there's no interest in building a new midsize pickup truck for the North American marketplace, the Dakota may be years hell even decades away from ever returning. So in the end, do we really need the Dakota to come back? It'd be nice, but really, there's no major need for it. If you like this podcast, please like, share, or comment about it. Send it to your friends, send it to your family, tell them. Showcase it to anybody you knew that originally owned one of those previous generation Dakotas and tell them, hey, it may not be coming back, but here's a product that may be coming in its place. Show them the new Ram Rampage, which could be the new age Dakota. 
And after that, stop by the website, check out some of our ratings, some of our reviews, the Corporate Links websites, and even listen in on some of our previous podcasts about many other different product ranges like the Ford Ranger. The Autolux Podcast has been brought to you by Ecom Entertainment Group and distributed by Podbeam.com. The Autolux Podcast is hosted by the one and only doctor to the automotive industry, Mr. Everett Jane. If you'd like to get a hold of him or the Autolux Podcast on their own, email them at email at autolux.net. So for myself, Everett Jay, the Autolux Podcast, strap yourself in for this one possibly cool ride that's coming from the Ram Rampage to bring back the Dodge Dakota.